Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, psychedelics, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Ann and Nick are back for a new episode with special guest Sherry Race, co-founder and CEO of Anthea, a mental health company dedicated to providing access to safe and affordable psychedelic-assisted therapy. Sherry joins us this week to discuss ketamine accessibility and how Anthea is making it more affordable, some myths about ketamine that need to be dispelled, and Anthea's 2024 plans to address underserved communities. If you're interested in learning more about Sherry and Anthea, visit the links in our show notes. Also, be sure to follow Sherry and Anthea on LinkedIn and Instagram. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Sherry Race of Anthea. Welcome to the Green Rush, Sherry. We're so excited to have you join us today. You have a very interesting history, um, and I we are interested in hearing a little bit about your journey um, with the UN and the World Bank and, and really talk about what led you into psychedelics, and then we'll talk about what Anthea is. We'll, we'll be talking a lot about that today, but first, we just want to hear a little bit about you and, and your journey. Yeah, um, so thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, in terms of my journey, I, I think everyone's journey and how they got to the psychedelic space is probably my favorite part of working with people in this industry because everyone has a unique story. For me, I, as you mentioned, I worked with the UN and the World Bank for 10 years. And in that time, I focused on poverty reduction. So I focused on building uh, programs at the national level with the objective of reducing poverty. I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do that in 37 different countries, mostly in Africa, some parts of Asia and South America. And I um, chose to work on some of uh, the more difficult assignments and projects. So I worked on projects in Yemen, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Nigeria, um, I won't list all the countries, but yeah, for me, they were great places to be, but definitely came with their challenges. And I saw firsthand the effects of poverty and trauma on community. Mm-hmm. I also saw firsthand that you can't fully address poverty without addressing mental health. And I saw this because as I started to do impact assessments and outcomes reports, you know, at one year, two year, three year follow-ups, of the projects I started, I saw that a great percentage of the people we worked with and our pilots would come out of poverty. So maybe anywhere from 40 to 60%, but that left a huge amount of the population still in poverty. And we would control for access to basic education, basic healthcare, infrastructure, they'd be getting money. Um, we'd help them with getting jobs. So to me, it was you know just very clear that there's something missing here and we're not addressing mental health in any way. Um, that led me down a kind of rabbit hole of, okay, well, what can we do? Like, I want to come up with an idea or solution that works. And 
like many of us have seen when we get into this space, a lot of the things we're doing right now to address mental health simply aren't working. Um, the effectiveness of SSRIs and talk therapy is, um, I think, quite appalling. These treatments work really well for some people, but that's not the majority of the population. And in most cases, they only work if you continue to take them so or, or do them in the case of talk mm-hmm. therapy. Um, so it's common for people to be on SSRIs for decades or doing talk therapy for years. So they're not necessarily curative. Um, and then I stumbled upon what was happening in the psychedelic space. And by that, I think probably a lot of the listeners here will know what I mean is reading some of the clinical trials and seeing that in these clinical studies, depending on the compound and the study and what it's being used for, but, or the indication, you know, anywhere from 65 to 80 ish percent of people are kind of going into full remission of their condition after one to four sessions of psychedelic assisted therapy. And that was mind blowing to me that there's Mm -hmm. something that's out there. That's not toxic. That's not habit forming that you do one to four times in combination, of course, with integration and stuff, but you do one to four times and you get to the root cause of your trauma. Um, That's a really long answer to your question, but ultimately that led me to wanting to learn more about the space, which then I fell in love with the space. And then I wanted to work in the space and I wanted to uh, ultimately combine my two worlds. So my previous life was about um, getting people access to things and, and helping people heal and reducing human suffering. So now I'm trying to do that by giving people access to psychedelic therapy. So the birth of Anthea then happens. And, you know, you, you have this, you know, very interesting career, but, but was entrepreneurship part of it? Uh, to be honest, no, I, that's an interesting question. I think I had a lot of entrepreneurial qualities, um, ingrained in me. Uh, my mother and my grandmother come from a very matriarchal family are, um, entrepreneurial in a way, extremely hardworking. Um, you know, the reason I'm here is because of them. And I learned a lot from them about a work ethic and commitment and drive and problem solving skills and, um, how to be resourceful in resource constrained environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely I got that from them and applied that in my work, even in my past life, in, in basically how I approach life. Um, I did uh, do some consulting for an e-commerce startup um, and led their operations from seed to series A. So I did have a little bit of startup experience, but it's very different when you're a founder and uh, and it's your baby. So uh, it's definitely a different experience. Oh, I think that's a, a great jumping off point where can you um, introduce our audience to, to Anthea, um, the company's mission and, and where you guys sit within the psychedelic space? Yeah. So Anthea is a third party administrator of health plan benefits for psychedelic therapy. Uh, our mission is to provide as many people as possible with access to safe and affordable psychedelic therapy. Um, where we fit in the larger psychedelic ecosystem is where our sort of the infrastructure component. Um, We help solve for reimbursement. And I think we help solve for the equity crisis in the psychedelic ecosystem, because as we know, um, these treatments, while highly effective and incredible, also come at a really high cost. 
And while most Americans can't afford a $500 out-of-pocket expense, uh, these treatments are going to be out of reach or are already out of reach with ketamine therapy to most Americans. And so in that way, what we're doing is uh, really creating benefit plans that employers can offer to their employees, very similar to how employers have an add-on dental or vision plan. This would be an add-on plan for psychedelic therapy. And we're starting with ketamine therapy because that's legal and approved in here. And um, we're building traction with that. Now, is that something that I, I know that you, you've been talking a lot about equitable access and giving people tools for um, their mental health, but was that something that, you know, you saw companies looking to differentiate themselves when it comes to recruitment for employees, like looking for ways to do that? Um, and how much of a role does that play in, into what you guys are doing? Yeah, that's um, a great point. So we are seeing, um, of course, our mission is, you know, all about getting people access to treatments and helping improve mental health outcomes. Um, but what we're seeing as we are out there talking to employers and selling is that some of the main points for them, the reason that they're interested in offering this is, yes, one, like an increase in productivity of their existing staff, um, increase in employee engagement, uh, increase in retention, so not losing people, um, increase in presenteeism uh, and a decrease in uh uh, absenteeism. And then also, as you mentioned, this is a, a, you know, an attractive way to attract new talent. Um, it's an innovative perk that not a lot of companies offer. So similar to kind of fertility benefits, which you don't get at all companies, um, but is definitely, um, you know, attracting a lot of people to some companies. This is kind of similar with Anthea's offering. Um, this actually brings up a point, uh, just a quick follow-up. Um, I was reading uh, where you know, as you were um, looking for investors, um, you know, for, for your first round, um, you know, a lot of those companies that invested also became um, clients. Uh, so can you talk yeah. a little bit about that? Yeah, that's so interesting that you picked up on that. I don't, um, that's great, great. We uh, do our research here at the Green Cherry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't think others have picked up on that, but it's really, um, really, says a lot for us that um, a lot of our initial investors were CEOs of companies and those companies have also, you know, signed on to be customers. So we have an example is Daybreaker, which um, is that famous uh, group that throws these parties at the crack of dawn. I mean... Um, I'm not familiar with them, but I'm old. So um, continue, please. They, they throw these very epic um, parties, no alcohol, at the crack of dawn. Uh, I think they were featured on Oprah. But yeah, they invested in us and are also a customer. Another is um, On It Gym. Another is Black Swan Yoga. So you can see these are kind of um, companies that are also in the wellness or well-being space, even with Daybreaker. Um, another is, um, I do know them. Sorry. I am remembering oh. dance parties, like, dance you know, parties. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Dance parties, like right at the crack of John. Yeah. 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 Traveled yeah. To it in like Austin, New York, DC. Um, and then there's a, a really interesting one is Plexus. So Plexus is actually not an investor of ours. They were, they are our software provider because we are a third party administrator. So we need a TPA software. And so they are like one of the best uh, leading solutions for TPA software. So we use their software and then they signed up. 
Um, yeah. Can, can you also, um, you know, you've talked about reimbursement, but what I'd love if you could kind of give us, what's the current landscape of what it looks like for accessibility to ketamine? Because it is very costly um, for, for individuals to do it. But can you kind of just like lay the land of like how, how high the barrier to entry is for people to actually get this? And then, you know, what, you know, how you guys are making it more affordable? Ketamine therapy is, uh, with few exceptions, uh, not covered by major insurance carriers. What I mean by few exceptions is what we're seeing is that uh, sometimes therapists and providers are being uh, very smart with their uh, billing and their codes. So they are perhaps billing just for the therapy or billing just for the cost of ketamine, which is really not that much at all. Um, but people are not getting full coverage from their from traditional insurance carriers for ketamine therapy. And what that means is the out-of-pocket cost for ketamine therapy, depending on where you're doing and how many sessions you have. But let's say you go for a full round of treatment, which would be one to three preparation sessions, two to six ketamine sessions, and six to eight integration sessions. If you're going to do that uh, at home through telehealth uh, and with an at-home ketamine provider, you're looking at $1,500 to $4,000 out of pocket. And if you're going to do that uh, in person, you're looking at six to $10,000 out of pocket for that, again, full range, full course of treatment. Now, some people might need less ketamine sessions, which would bring down the cost or less integration sessions, which would bring down the cost. But um, that's what this is costing out of pocket without insurance today. And so what Anthea is doing is we're talking to employers. Uh, we have a national nationwide network of vetted ketamine providers, and we're talking to employers to give them an easy way to offer this as a benefit to their employees um, with reduced rates that we've negotiated with our providers and also um, creating ways that um, make it a win-win. So maybe an employer will be able to cover 80% of the cost and then the employee covers 20% of the cost, for example. So it makes it brings the barrier to access down. I want to talk a little bit more about the um the employee benefit, uh, the the nationwide employee benefit that that you announced um, uh, last month, and um, I think a lot of people don't fully understand, and I certainly don't. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, the the self insured, the the category of companies that are self insured. So can yeah. you explain a little bit of what that means and why it might be easier for them to um, partner with a company like yours? Definitely. So um, what most of us don't realize is that um, in the U.S., I think it's 75% or 80% of companies with more than 500 employees self-insure. What that means is that they are paying for all of the medical costs associated with, you know, any bills for their employees, uh, medical bills. Um, they go through a TPA, like I used that word before, and Thea is a TPA, third-party administrator of benefits. They will go through a TPA. And in this case, the companies we know as insurance companies act as TPAs, so Blue Cross Blue Shield, United, Kaiser, et cetera. But they're going through these companies as third-party administrators. And the employer is carrying the risk, which means that they might be paying 
um, per employee per month amount uh, to, you know, to kind of cover what is the anticipated cost of the medical bills for the employee population. But at the end of the year, they will, you know, I'm, I'm simplifying it for the audience, but they might get an invoice being like, well, your medical bills went this much over, so you actually owe money. So what I'm trying to say is that the employer is at risk, um, carries the risk, that is at risk, carries the risk and is fronting the costs of their employees' well-being and all of the medical bills. Now, why does that make it easier for an employer to sign up for Inthia? It's not necessarily easier um, it's that's our target market because these employers will see an economic benefit to signing up for Anthea because of the, all of the reasons that mental health lead to high medical bills. Usually there's comorbidity with different other uh, physical conditions like heart disease and cancer. The cost of those things go up more when you have a mental health, untreated mental health issue. Um, ER visits, uh, leave, like medical leave, um, all of these things are affected very greatly by mental health issues. And so by actually going back to the beginning of this conversation, actually curing and getting to the root cause of a mental health issue and getting people off of the SSRIs and reduced talk therapy and reduced you know, ER visits and reduced leave is a huge benefit to companies that self-insure because they are getting that benefit economically. Now, if a company doesn't self-insure, which is most smaller companies don't self-insure, when they don't self-insure, the insurance company still like the Blue Cross, the Blue Shield, um, the United, the Kaiser, that company carries the risk, right? Mm. And the uh, employer is just paying a premium for the employees, but they're not carrying the risk. So they don't get any money back if the medical bills uh, you know, didn't add up to whatever was paid in the premium. And so for those companies, they can still, like a lot, our, our current customers are actually smaller companies that uh, don't self-insure and we are happy to work with them. Mm. Um, it's just, there's an added economic benefit to the ones that are self-insured. Uh, we've talked a lot about ketamine, but obviously that's not the only psychedelic where people are finding help when it comes to um, the assisted therapy through all this. Um, in, in states where, you know, psilocybin has been decriminalized or, um, you know, with the anticipation that the FDA is going to uh, approve MDMA for PTSD next year, um, isn't Thea looking to get involved with these other uh, psychedelic assisted therapies as well? Yes, um, we're definitely looking to get involved and, you know, we created the company um, very much keeping MDMA and psilocybin-assisted therapy in mind. Um, and we've done a lot of projections and models, uh, including the inclusion of MDMA-assisted therapy. And even as we build our provider network, often our providers are ketamine providers that have also been trained in MDMA-assisted therapy. Not necessarily a requirement when we add them as a ketamine provider, but we're just seeing that that's the case. So we're really excited about adding that to our offering. Um, we are not yet um, working anywhere where psilocybin is available at the state level or legal at the state level. Um, it, 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 you know, as a company offering this benefit, we have to get uh, licensed to offer the benefit, like have a TPA license. And we also have to get um, various types of like liability insurance and things like this. And so at present, that's uh, not easy to do. 
uh, even with the state-by-state regulations changing because there is an FDA approval. Um, Should that change, uh, we may look into offering psilocybin at the state level, but uh, right now it's still difficult to do that as a a benefit. When we are selling, um, we also have to pay attention to... um, safety and, um, you know, employers pushbacks and concerns. So even as psilocybin gets decriminalized or legalized or approved at the state level, um, it's very new. And so without the rigorous process of FDA approval, there isn't enough clinical data to show its safety and effectiveness. And, you know, we'd also want to make sure that we're not offering something until we know it's safe. I would imagine that you are um, not just selling, but also educating. Um, and or, or that's probably a big part of the sales process, right? What are some of the, the things you hear, the pushback you hear? What, what are some of the like myths that are still out there that you guys are seeing that you're just like, no, that is not correct? Or, you know, what, what are some of the concerns you're still running into? Yeah, um, I'm going to break this down a little bit by demographic. So we are selling, uh, usually the decision maker in this case for us is somebody in HR or head of benefits, unless it's a smaller company, then it might be a C-suite or a founder, but usually we're talking to the head of HR um, to implement this benefit. And what we're noticing, you're right, there's so much education involved. So our job, you know, even internally in our processes, it's not a strict sales plan. It's education and sales, they go very hand in hand in what we do, both before the sale and after the sale. Because if we're not selling to the HR person, we're then, I mean, not educating the HR person, we're then educating the employees. So there's education throughout uh, that's needed with what Anthea does. Um, And now splitting it up by demographic, because that stands out the most to me, especially recently, as I've been to a lot of health and HR conferences. Um, If we're talking to someone who is 45 or above, or maybe 50 or above, somewhere there, their concerns are usually um, very much influenced by the war on drugs, uh, a lot of stigma around drugs, a lot of remnants of the hippie era. Maybe they will just openly say like, are you talking about that thing I heard about in college or did in college? Like, um, or, you know, uh, these are the things we're kind of fighting. So they don't see uh, this as a medicine. They see this as um, something very negative um, from the time of the war on drugs. That's what we're seeing in that demographic. And then if we're talking to someone in HR who's, you know, 30 to 50, let's say, um, or 30 to 45, they it, the thing we have to battle with them is that ketamine is known recreationally as Special K. And so that will come up. And they're like, oh, you mean Special K? And so <laughs> we kind of have to fight it's a different fight, but in different kind of education. But we, but at the end of the day, we're, you know, still doing what we're doing is we're explaining to people that this is a medicine and used in a clinical setting, according to within a certain framework can be extremely profound and therapeutic and transformative. So that's the education component. And fortunately we have very compelling stories to, to tell that, um, to educate people. And then we have a lot of data showing the effectiveness of ketamine therapy. I'm curious, uh, you know, going back to the conversation about health equity, you know, there's a ton of obstacles just getting people this type of care. If you had a magic wand, you know, what would you want to see change that would allow allow people to get more of the the support that they need? Um, If I could wave a magic wand, uh, that is a really difficult question for me to answer as a Canadian 
who is the CEO and co-founder of an American health plan company. We didn't even talk about that part. <laughs> um, um, because my like answer would be really controversial. Like, how do we go to like a more public healthcare system? Um, which, you know, even with a magic wand would be too difficult to implement uh, in today's environment in the US. So um, my magic wand would really be to have all of the uh, major insurance carriers offer 100% coverage for ketamine therapy as it stands right now and psychedelic therapy as they become approved. Um, that would put India probably out of business, but that would be my magic wand, I would say. So what's the next step for, for Anthea? You've got, um, you've got funding, right? Like, you know, you, you are officially off the ground. You've got clients. What's, what's the next year look like for you? Yeah. So the first year post-funding this year has been focused on our provider network and really building that so that um, the ability to say we have nationwide capability through our provider network was our focus so that as we grow and get employers uh, anywhere in the country, we can um, offer this to their employees. The next year is focused on uh, growth and sales. So now that we have that provider network, we'll be focused on marketing efforts, sales efforts, and uh, educating, um, getting more brand awareness and um, getting more people talking about ketamine therapy and being aware of the benefits. And hopefully the addition of MDMA therapy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, we work with maps, so, I mean, we are, uh, very, very invested in that fight too. Um, you know, and, and I was also reading, you know, you, you also, I feel like Rick Doblin is at the center of most companies in this space. Um, and he also was, was central to, to your education and to your learning and your, um, the spark of the idea. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, he's kind of like, yeah, you said it better than I could. Um, so, so pivotal to a lot of the companies in the space and a lot of the people that even get interested in psychedelic therapy probably heard from Rick uh, Doblin or Michael Pollan is usually one of those yep. two. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, for me personally, as I started learning about psychedelic therapy, I said I stumbled upon the research first. I reached out to a lot of these people, including Rick. Um, and I don't know why they answered my emails and decided to give me time um, uh, in 2018, but um, got the opportunity to speak uh, to people, great people doing great work in this space, including Rick Doblin uh, and St. Gore um, from the Boston Psychedelic Research Group, uh, Dick Simon, who's also influential in this field, Janice Phelps from CIAS. So I got to speak to a lot of people who are doing great work in this space. I could go on with the list. And that inspired me to study at CIAS and do the certificate training in psychedelic therapy and research. And then as um, we continued our relationship with Rick, he's been a huge supporter of Anthea because, you know, everything MAPS is doing, uh, he's even said this in a video testimonial for us, but everything MAPS is doing um, is useless if you know, insurance doesn't cover this. And before the large insurance carriers do cover this, and ultimately we hope they will, Anthea plays this piece in kind of bridging that gap in the in-between. And then eventually probably working with some of those large insurance carriers 
and partnering with them as well. But um, there's millions of people that um, can be healed uh, and helped uh, without uh, insurance coverage being there. And so hopefully Anthea can, can help them. And I want to go back to your, your background, you know, having explored poverty across so many different um, cultures and nations. Um, is there an effort either by Anthea or, or with other groups that you may be associated with to try and bring um, this type of therapy to those more um, impoverished nations and, and get them that kind of help that we're seeing, you know, people in the States be able to get? Um, thank you for asking that question. Um, so I want to, you know, touch on something um, uh, for a second first. And that's kind of like just the state. I, I just encourage um, the audience to to go read more about this. But the state of inequity between developed and developing countries, you know, across the field, but especially when it comes to mental health, uh, for example, in high income countries or developed countries, about 70 percent of people with psychosis receive treatment. But in low income countries, that's that number goes down to 20, 12%. Um, so there's like a really big problem uh, that we are not doing enough to address. Um, uh, I'm going to give you like one more statistic and then I encourage people to, to go read more. But, um, you know, people with depression uh, in, in developed countries, 23% of people with depression are receiving care for their depression. And in low-income countries, that's 3%. So from 23 to 3 wow. um, And I could go on about like different effects of PTSD, especially in places after war um, and conflict, but um, that would be a whole other podcast episode. <laughs> um, so now to answer your question, uh, my background and what Anthea is doing. In this current moment, Anthea is very focused on the US market. And we um, have some plans um, for 2024 to address underserved communities um, in in the U.S., um, looking specifically at um, perhaps incarcerated and formerly incarcerated populations. Um, I'm also speaking, these are very early conversations, but I'm speaking to some homeless shelters because that's a big part of the work I still do right now on my own as, you know, out of my own thing um, about, you know, could we get these treatments offered uh, at in some way to people in homeless shelters. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that right now that India is focused on this at the moment, because you asked me before, you know, have I been an entrepreneur? I have, I said, I have some of those tendencies, but no, I haven't. And all of the advice I get from successful entrepreneurs is like, don't get distracted by all of the exciting things that you want to do and like focus on one thing and get it right first. And I get it. I get very easily excited about so many things. So um, that'll be Anthea's focus for now. And as we grow, hopefully that um, can change, you know, in the next few years. And then with my personal focus, although most of my personal time is dedicated uh, to Anthea, um, I do have um, some interest. So I, yesterday was in the United Nations headquarters in New York. And I got to speak to people there about psychedelic therapy. It's not that I'm spending lots of time building programs or can tell you about any kind of initiatives, but I'm at least trying to get the word out when I can. I wrote an article um, this, this year for a publication that goes out to all of the UN and international development agencies, workers and employees about the benefits of psychedelic therapy. I got to attend Davos at the international arena where it wasn't so much about 
talking to employers for or customers for Enthia, but I went to Davos to talk to people at the world stage about psychedelic therapy. So um, I do try to do that to create that awareness and um, also have to focus on making Enthia successful. Our last question for you. Yes. I think, well, I don't know. I reserve the right to change my mind too. Um, But our last question for you is, um, what's the one story you think is the most undertold? What, what are, what is the media missing? Or, or if you were to open the front pages of the Washington Post tomorrow, uh, or the New York Times, what would be your, your dream headline or dream story? You know, that is an excellent question. And I've been, I don't have a great answer. I've been extremely impressed um, and really happy with the coverage, the media coverage of psychedelic therapy. I mean, cover of Sports Illustrated, if not the front page of New York Times, in the New York Times a lot, CNN, Fox News, 60 Minutes, um, Michael Pollan, Joe Rogan. I mean, psychedelic therapy is getting a lot of coverage. Again, Davos, I spoke three times there. There's like a huge conference called Web Summit. It's a tech conference. And I think there's like 40,000 people coming. Um, I'll be speaking about psychedelics there. So it's getting that kind of attention and coverage. And I'm really happy about that. Uh, So I said, I don't have a good answer, but I'm going (laughs) to flip your question a little bit. Um, What keeps me up at night is what happens when there's a story that's gone wrong, someone that has a bad experience, which by the way, is completely normal uh, with any other kind of medication or drug that we have out there. I mean, like people overdose on Tylenol and there's tons of stories about just everyday drugs that, that we have, but what happens when something that that happens with psychedelics and what will the media do then? So that's kind of what keeps me up at night. And I hope that when there is a story like that, that the media is able to cover it uh, in an informed uh, way and, and hold integrity and provide context. That's so interesting because I, um, we, we did work, you know, for PS 2023 um, and Bob, Jesse and Michael Pollan were on the stage and I, we were working like crazy. So we admittedly did not get a lot of time to sit in the panels, but I was able to listen to about 20 minutes of that one. And they talked about the importance of language um, and that, you know, when the FDA says something is safe and effective, you know, Bob Jesse is like, it's not safe for everyone. It's not yeah. effective for everyone. And, you know, Michael Pollan has also, you know, since written like, you know, this isn't this magic bullet that's going to like, you know, it help absolutely everyone. There's still risks involved. There's still, you know, populations that just won't, you know, people dealing with schizophrenia or, you know, other um, psychoses like may not be good candidates for this. So there needs to be this measured, sobering, you know, critical look at it. Like, you know, and and there are times that we, that even we, I mean, we're the the PR agency that's like, you know, pitching a lot of these stories, you know, that, that, you know, we don't want it to be this, like, you know, everyone effusive, like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's, it's amazing for, for, for what it is because 87% of people, you know, uh, I think that's the number for the, the latest math study. Like that's nothing to shake a stick at. That's 
better than we've done in the past, but that's still not a hundred percent. And I think that that's a really nuance. And sometimes we miss the nuance um, for, for the clickbait and the headline and for our four second like attention span now. All right. Thanks for coming to my Ted talk, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I thought that was so interesting and it's interesting that, that that's how you, you know, kind of see it as well. Definitely. Well, Ted talk. You, what? I enjoy your TED talk. Oh, thank you very much. Um, Well, Sherry, thank you so much for the work you're doing. Um, You know, keep it up. We're big fans of the company. We always have been. Um, So, you know, come back, please. Um, You know, maybe in the next six months, it'll be interesting to see where you guys are. Um, But I mean, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I'm sorry, my voice is at 100%. um, But yeah, I, I love the work you guys are doing as well. I hope one day we will get to work together. It's not lost on me. And um, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Thanks to Sherry Race, co-founder and CEO of Anthea. Check out their good work at Anthea, E-N-T-H-E-A dot com. And thanks for listening. Please find us on, are we really saying X? Ooh formally Twitter with the handle at the underscore green rush or on Instagram at the green rush underscore podcast, or send us an email at green rush at KCSA. We do read your emails. We love them. Thank you so much for sending them. Please keep it up. Um, and lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the green rush in your favorite pod catcher. That's one take Shay, one take.